0: Great, we're going right now. Welcome to another episode of The Artistic Director with Jacob Alexander-Ferg. I'm sitting here with Sharon Hodge. Sharon, how are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you very much.
0: Uh, Sharon, for the listener who is not familiar with you, can you give a brief history of yourself in the performance world that led you to being not technically the artistic director of the uh, Black? Is it the Blackfoot... Blackfoot department? Community Players. Blackfoot Community Players, thank you. Um, yeah, a brief history that led you to being in the leadership role that you are, you are now.
1: Sure. My interest in theater was um, just I like to perform. And I found um, I got a couple of parts in the local Blackfoot community players group and had a blast and, um, and enjoyed doing it so much that one of those people asked me, who is um, a good friend of mine, if I would help on the board of directors and nominate me to be the treasurer. So I entered the realm just as helping with the community group. Um, and soon after, I was an elementary teacher at the time, And I was doing um, programs at my school with my kids. And pretty soon I was doing the whole school's programs with all of the kids in the school. And then through the community players, I was offered a job teaching drama at our local middle school. Um, From there, I stayed with the program, helped get a, a beautiful performing arts center built in our community, ended up working now as the high school drama teacher doing musicals here and still continuing to do community theater uh, in a very big way. All volunteer, the teaching part I get paid for, the rest of it has been the love of theater making it happen. And so I kind of got sucked in for my own love of theater and not having a venue to perform very much um, makes you get involved so that you can have a place to perform. (laughs) And that's how I got involved. In
0: yeah, and we're sitting in this theater. It's hard to explain it uh, over audio, but it's a for it's a town of for a town of ten thousand. It is an extremely professional theater. Uh, it is a, a huge stage. There's an orchestra pit that's uh, covered up. I mean, I like how many people are seated.
1: It, it seats twelve hundred people yeah. and clear sight lines. There's no poles yeah, or anything. Exactly. And we have um, we have a beautiful, beautiful facility. And a a full concert band shell that can be brought down and moved and into place. And um, a a 60 batten, that includes all of our electricals, but we have 60 battens we can work with. And, you know, it's just a beautiful theater. And it's because people who knew theater and knew concert halls designed it. And the community got behind us and built it. And it's still being paid for, but... It's kind of the pride of the community, actually. Yeah,
0: awesome. Um, So I'm going to start out asking you the question that I ask all of my guests, uh, and it is a big, ambiguous question, so feel free to answer it in any way, shape, or form that uh, you please. Okay. Uh, The question is simply, what is your artistic direction?
1: Mm, That is ambiguous. (laughs) Um, I think my artistic direction is to give people who are not in the big cities or big performance arenas a place to perform. I think all of us have that artistic feeling in us that, and some of us more than others, yeah. and some of us have it and are afraid to use it or express it, but most of us don't have the opportunity even if we want to express that. And so to, to give everybody that wants to perform that opportunity, or at least more people that opportunity is probably the direction i would go and then to give them not just an artistic experience but a really professional experience they can really be proud of you know i've done everything from elementary christmas programs to you know thousands of dollars involved in a production and i can say that i don't think the elementary program should be any less directed than than the big Broadway production that you're trying to emulate yeah and I think so my artistic direction is is to give people that opportunity but to make it really good for the performers as well as the audience
0: yeah that's huge because I think it's easy to brush kids to the side just say they're young they're not mature they'll get the full experience when they get older uh, but it's important because I think when you give kids that professional experience, you're inherently telling them that they're able to do this thing.
1: Well, and the other thing is there are so many things that they are trying in in a young age. If you don't get them started there, they find something else to nurture in themselves. And so we might have the greatest performers in the world living among us, but they'll never know that, and neither will we, if somebody doesn't give them a shot. And um, it doesn't have to be you know, a huge thing, but it needs to be more than a tree or a rock (laughs) while you're standing on stage. You know, you need to have the ability to let that kid do something. And if they're not successful at it, to be able to gently turn them another direction. And I think that's my part of my job, too, is to not discourage somebody, but to be real with them about their ability. Um, I have kids who come and audition for every single show I do. And I try and include them, and I try and turn them, if they're not capable on stage, to some technical uh, abilities. And I have an awesome paint crew that comes out every year because they love to be a part of theater and it's apparent to them eventually hmm. that it's not their thing. They can't really match up with some of the vocal abilities of somebody yeah. in a musical or even some of the acting. And some of them will come take acting lessons from us. but. Some people just don't have the talent any more than I could go out and be a Peyton Manning. So I think that the real challenge is to help those people find their niche in art in some form or another, whether it's on the stage performing or in some other place or venue or performance niche. It's just helping them find that spot. And I think that's really important
0: yeah that's one of the things that stuck with me is the idea that when you're uh, giving direction or artistic direction, you're inherently creating an ecology, so to speak. Like you're sort of creating a um a culture of people. And that is one of the most difficult things is how do you keep positivity and encouragement in the picture? While still being real with, especially with younger kids who you know right. may, maybe are a little bit more fragile, or maybe like it's the first time that anyone's told them no, or something like that,
1: um they are fragile, but I think they're not as fragile as we think. yeah,
0: it's that's yeah. part of brushing them aside again, right? I just did it. <laughs>
1: yeah, but but I think I think they're really resilient. I think kids, um, kids, okay, there's a big joke about the millennials not being able to take it. Yeah. that That's true to some extent. Um, but I don't have to give participation trophies. Yeah. You know, you audition. And one of the first things as an artistic director I tell kids is if you can't learn to audition well, you're never going to perform. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I try to give them a little direction if they call me and they say, why didn't I get a part? I'm really honest with them. I'll say, well, you know, you didn't memorize your monologue and it was only a minute. It, if you don't show me that you're willing to even do that, well, why would I cast you in a in a part that other kids went to the trouble to do some memory work. We have kids going out, there's vocal teachers in the area and I'll say to them, what are you doing to, or, are you even taking choir where you don't have to pay for it at the high school or the middle school level? What are you doing to enhance your craft to where I can put you somewhere and feel good about putting you there? And so I think part of our job, if, if you're the artistic person involved in the process, is making sure they they have a direction to go, yeah. where do I go from here? if I can't get apart with you, am I just going to give up? Hmm. Well, no, you don't give up, but you figure out why you're weak and then fix it and and then what do I do meantime? Maybe I can run a spotlight or I spotlight or I can pull the curtain or paint the set there's always something I can have somebody help me with if they truly want to be here yeah so
0: that's there's an interesting dilemma because I think you can't make motivation for uh, other people. They have to do it themselves. But I think you can give them the opportunity to make themselves motivated.
1: Yeah, I call it dangling the carrot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a great visual. Yeah, I love it.
1: and so, you know, you, I can't make the mule walk, but I can dangle the carrot. And if they're not willing to just reach out and grab the carrot, then there's nothing I can do. Yeah. But I, I will try to dangle that carrot, and, and I do that by making my productions something they want to be in. Mm-hmm. And then I tell them the way to do that. And I have really talented people that have never gotten a great role, and it isn't because, it isn't because they're not talented, or they haven't prepared, or their audition wasn't fabulous. It's just the right role hasn't come along. Yeah. And that's part of theater, and that's part of learning to be a part of theater
0: yeah that's
1: sometimes it's the role and like I had a, a young woman try out for our current production which is Mary Poppins and she was beautiful and her voice was beautiful and I really wanted to use her as Mary Poppins but she didn't fit the other cast members that tried out for the other roles and so for that reason alone and through no fault of her own I just didn't feel like I could cast her and do the show justice so You know my job to her is you had a great audition just wasn't the right role for you you've got to keep coming and keep trying and so I can give you the right role or I pick a show and hope she auditions for the next year when the show has a role that she could be brilliant in yeah
0: so I'm interested in the act of casting because before this recording you said that you're you're pretty good at casting yeah Um, and i like I, it is crucial it is crucial Absolutely. to be good at casting, but that's such an ambiguous skill to grab yes. onto um, what can, can you put into words like some of those like tenets of being able to cast uh, to cast a show well
1: My big thing for me is as a director, I have to have a clear vision of what I want the show to look like. Yeah. And if I have that, it's easier for me to find the people that will make my show match my vision. Um, the hard part is when nobody walks in through that door that matches the vision, and then you have to realign. Mm-hmm. But it's easier for me to realign my vision than to come up with it as these people randomly walk in. And so I, I had in my head what I thought would make the perfect Mary Poppins. And last year, I knew who would make the perfect king for me. And, um, and sometimes they are. there are people in your community that you visualize doing these pieces. And I, ne- I have never invited them to audition. Mm. I just pray that they do. <laughs> and, and you know what? Most of the time, these people are performers in their heart, if not in their mind. And, and if I pick the right role, they see themselves in that role. They say, wow, I think I could play the king in King and I. And, and those people come and audition for your show. But, in my head, it has to be I have a vision and and I have learned through hard knocks of directing not to compromise, not to put somebody in who says, "Well, you know, so and so's the brother of so and so, and it would be really good for the theater, and I went, "I've done that before, and I won't do that anymore because it compromises the vision of the show and and um and it just Casting is ambiguous. It's really hard, but I think that's the one thing I do, and I sometimes try and have the sets in my mind before I try, and, and I design the sets for my shows, and, um, and I don't compromise on those either, yeah. and I surround myself with people who um, share my vision. They don't try to take it. They don't try to add. I don't care if they add to it, but I really am selfish about <laughs> how I want this to look in the end and um and so i get a great vocal director and i get somebody who really knows what they're doing when they cu- they're building set and they say you you show us what you want and we'll do it and surrounding yourself with people like that makes it easier to cast because that's all you're worrying about yeah and when you're doing community theater you wear so many hats <laughs> <laughs> you're not just the director now you're doing publicity and then pretty soon oh yeah you're the paint crew because you know I have a vision, I pick all the paint, I pick all the wallpaper, I, you know, because I am kind of close to the chest with my vision for a show. Yeah. So I share those with people who follow that direction and it's really nice that there are people who want to do those things. Yeah. And, and and like you said, I, get away, I got away from casting for a minute, but, but it is, it's really hard, but I think that probably is, and I watch a lot of clips after i cast i think there's a problem with you try to watch clips on youtube and get visions well that's somebody else's vision yeah, for a show absolutely. and so i don't watch any of those until after my show is cast then i i go for it i have members of my cast say to me in every show i've ever done they say how do you want me to play this part <laughs> they said i want you to characterize the part yeah um, If I was going to play that part, I would play that part. (laughs) I want you to play that part. And if I don't like how you're playing that part, if it doesn't match my vision, I'll let you know. And I just feel like to give them the artistic freedom to characterize, and then I'll nudge them around if it doesn't fit exactly where I see it. But nine times out of 10, it fits. And it's usually a better fit than what even I had envisioned. Yeah, exactly.
0: So so say hypothetically I was cast in one of your shows. What would make me the perfect actor for you to work with? What are things that I could do to make the transition into me being directed by you as seamless as possible?
1: Um, I would put you in a show again, and I guess that's the best way. If I have worked with you once and you put yourself in that role, for one thing, getting off your book. It's really hard for me to direct when you've got a script in your hand. Yep. And so I really, really like people who take the initiative and come memorized before I even tell them they have to be off book. I like people who have a vision for their character before I tell them what the vision is. I shouldn't have to tell you. I really want you to visualize. Um, I love it when you're in my show and you say, you know what, and you don't do it while we're rehearsing in front with 35 other people. After the show, or after the rehearsal is over, you come to me and you said, I had an idea and I want to run this by you. You don't stop my rehearsal yeah. for your idea, even though it's brilliant. It's really hard for me to explore the idea fully with you and give you full, full, um, uh, full my full attention to you when we're in the middle of other things. Yeah. So I always tell anybody who has an idea, I'm open to that. I'm really open to it, but I don't want you to tell me in the middle of my rehearsal. Tell me after, and don't be offended if I don't use your idea yeah. because it may not be. It just may not fit the vision for the whole show.
0: Yeah.
1: So I think being directable mostly is being able to listen but not expect me to tell you how to inflect every word mm-hmm. and every piece. And, um, and I, I'm different from a lot of directors. I've had other people that have been in other theaters come and say, I feel like we need more direction. And I think, I think you've been over-directed yeah. most of the time. Yeah. And, um, and I have had an assistant director who... Choreographed a piece, and my daughter from out of town came and watched, and she said, "You didn't choreograph that, did you?" And um, I said, "No, I didn't do even any of the blocking." She said, "I could tell," and I said, "How could you tell?" And she said, "Because it was very contrived. The actors were were remembering what somebody had told them to do in yeah. that one scene." Yeah, and she was able to pick out the scene that um, that that was because it was very over directed, in my opinion. So, Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think. I think giving yourself credit for what you know is inside of you yeah. is most of my artistic battle for you
0: and that's i think a good thing to remind actors is there's a reason you got cast that's
1: exactly there right. is a
0: reason that like i saw you for the role and so what you were doing already inherently fit this role
1: exactly and i shouldn't have to tell you now yeah. how to sing this song or how to move during this song how would you move if you were this character ask yourself that question answer that question for yourself and go do it. Yeah. And then, you know, I look good and we all look good. Yeah,
0: so. and then that, that takes an inherent amount of trust because that's, I'm just gonna try something and I trust you that if, if yeah. this doesn't fit, you're going to tell me and then you trust me that I'm not gonna Be walk offended. up. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Um, exactly. So there's an interesting idea that I wanna explore which is this, I think there is a crucial element of non-compromise that you have to uh, adopt. But that can cause friction oh, yeah. a lot, um, and I'm curious like, where's the, how do you draw that line between being like rigorous and adhering to your vision, but not uh, dismantling relationships that you have with people? Does that make sense? Yes,
1: and and I I don't think there's a bigger diplomat than a director who can keep a cast happy, <laughs> and um and you're and for one thing I don't. I don't work at keeping my cast happy, but I don't work at not, at alienating them either. Yeah. I think it's really important that you talk to your cast on the same level because that's really all we are. I'm just playing a different role. Yeah. And, and the most minor character in any show I do is no more or less important than I am. And if I don't believe that, I'm not going to be a good director. Yeah. I really think that um, I want them to respect me as a director. And so if I treat them with the same degree of respect as an actor, then I usually get that in return. And, and, um, and I think diplomacy is everything. I think I can say the same thing to you in a really nice way and have you understand it, then I can yell at you. And I've seen directors that do that, and I, I get a lot further um, just telling my people how I feel about something and explaining to them why it's not important to me that you agree with me, but it is important to me that you understand why I see this like I see it. Yeah. And you may never come around to my way of thinking, and that's okay with me, I don't have to have that, but I'm gonna respect that you don't adhere to the way I do things, yeah. too. I think you gotta put your ego aside a little bit, and, um, and if you can do that, and be diplomatic. Like, I have had big disagreements with, um, sometimes my stage manager sometimes even my house manager I want the house run a certain way and then I guess you have to step back and say um, one of my favorite phrases is it a hill to die on (laughs) is this something that I climb up this hill and give my life over and if it's not then maybe it's okay to do it their way Mm -hmm. you know I pick my battles very carefully and if the choreographer really wants it done a certain way and it doesn't really change too much in my show, then I let them do it that way. Yeah. Because they have an artistic vision that I have to respect as well. Yeah, exactly. And I put them there. Yeah. So because I put them there, then, then I have to give, have some flexibility to give them some artistic viewpoint, or there's no point in them being here either. Yeah. I just as well do it all. And so, But I think there are so many people who fail at diplomacy. And I don't think you have to be the mean, nasty, awful director to get people to do things for you. In opposite opposite of that, I think you get more done when you don't treat people that way. And um, I give and take respect. And I think you treat people like people and you get what you need them to do.
0: Yeah, and you be decisive. That's, the, that's yeah, right. That's the tough part.
1: And I am pretty decisive. I'm, but I'd like to think I'm not a control freak. Yeah. And I think there's a huge difference between deciding what your vision is and thinking you have to control every detail. Mm-hmm. And there are details that I just let go. And and most of the time, the people that I put in place are close enough to my vision that I don't have to do much with them. Yeah. You know, I have people doing programs and I have people doing posters and I have people. The thing that bothers me most about people is when they volunteer to do something, they don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but when you're working with volunteers, then you get what you pay for, you know? and. And I just have to say, OK, I can't do everything. And sometimes I have to let things go. Or I have to pony up and find 100 bucks to pay somebody to do something <laughs> I didn't expect to. But I don't like to do that because none of us are paid. So I'm, I'm pretty big on, I'm a volunteer. You can volunteer. Yeah. And, and if you're going to tell me you're going to do something, do it. And if you're not going to do it, don't volunteer. I'm fine with that. So that's kind of a pet peeve threw yeah. that out there because so much of my time is spent putting together this product and one little piece of it depends on you and I really need you to do that. Yeah. Or tell me you're not going to do it. <laughs> you know, just don't put the posters in the back of your car and never put them out. Yeah, so, that's, yeah that's classic. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's, it is. That's, that's so, hilarious. Anyway, I hope that answers that question. No. But I, I think mutual respect for their art and their artistic um, taste is key to being a person involved in the arts that wants to direct and make something happen that's really great.
0: I think theater is a dialogue between uh, the performers and the directors and the whole company and the community itself. And this seats over 1,000 people, correct? 1,200. 1,200. That's one tenth of the population of the town that we're in. Yes. How do you tap in, how do you understand this community well enough to, or how do you create that dialogue with the community that brings them back so this theater isn't just like only the first row of
1: people? You know what? Um, That's a really good question, and the reason I am more successful at it than others is because I, uh, first I've lived here all my life, and so I know the kind of people I live with, and I am not an artistic snob in that I don't think I have to do um, a presentation because it's artistic. If my community is not gonna pay to watch it, then I'm not gonna do it. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody suggested we do Big Fish. Great show, love the show, but I just said I'm not gonna do it because we don't have an audience for that here. Not because it isn't a good show, it's just because nobody knows the show. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a theater to the south of us um, tried to do Spitfire Grill. Another, t- I think, great show, but you just have to know that you, if you're not in a real theater theater-rich town, There are so many people that are just not going to come out to that because it's not Oklahoma or it's not Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. And so I have to be really careful. Um, We have a limited amount of budget for these. And so if I have one show flop, it can affect an entire season. And so I have to pick shows for these bigger productions that I'm involved in that I know we're going to get an audience for. Um, And sometimes you repeat shows that you don't want to repeat, that you know, everybody's done them. But it's okay, because those are the kinds of things that draw audience. We are a really, really um, conservative community. And because this is a conservative community, I have to watch what shows that I choose. Um, We've had other directors in town that put shows on and you know the language and the premise of their show. We have to make sure we tell people, this is an adult show, this is not something You want to um, bring your kids to, and because I've never done that to one of my audiences, they trust me, and trust is key with your audience as well. And um, we have had a director in town who, you know, promised even the board that there were certain language barriers that they wouldn't cross. You know, we are not California, we are not New York. There are things that are just not okay in this community, and they will find out who's directing. and And I've had even parents call me and say are you directing and they won't let their kids be with a director who doesn't fit the mores and cultural values of the community they're sitting in some people say that's terrible you know you should be able to artistically do whatever you want that's great if you're rich and you can perform on your own yeah. dime but yeah. we're not We're there's this, working is real,
0: this is realism that you have to that's adapt that's right yeah.
1: yeah and so we have to tap into things that sometimes you know we may not want to do just to make sure you you ensure the success of the community theater part yeah. of what you're doing. Do you find that stifling at all,
0: or is that so integrated into how you focus on things that it's just a natural part of the system?
1: I think it's a little stifling to pick shows based on their known entity. Yeah. You know, it's not hard to fit the cultural mores that I'm used to. I'm an elementary teacher and now a high school teacher, and. And that's something you learn how to do if you're a decent educator from the very beginning. Um, You have to live in the community that you work in. And so that part of it's not hard for me. To not do shows that I know would be beautiful shows and beautifully done because we can't get people in the seats, that's stifling to me. But I haven't figured out how to fix that. And until I do, I'm not going to risk I'm not going to risk the community involvement in the theater that I've helped create. Yeah. And so getting people in the seats is the challenge for every show we do. And, you know, so you build this reputation. We had a di- director several years ago, and um, she did the musicals before I was involved in our community theater. And she cast two people in the male and female roles as leads three years in a row. And it's taken us ten years to get people to come audition again. Because, you know, why are you going to audition if you know that so-and-so's friend is always going to get the lead? And she did it three years in a row, and finally we just had, I, that's when I volunteered to direct the, the spring musical for the first time. I really didn't feel like I had the time, but somebody had to intercede yeah. and say, I'll do that. And so I did, and it was, it was difficult to get people to volunteer to come out and work, because they got tired of the same people seeing the same role played by the same people yeah. over and over again. Yeah.
0: Um, how do you get that? There's a, there's another thing with casting where if you've worked with someone, you know them, and if you trust them, then it's it's just a more rational choice to make the male and the female three years in a row. Like that is like sort of by the books rational. Yeah. But then you end up alienating your uh, the rest of the people who want to audition. How do you? S- it's another like thing of striking a balance, but where does that balance live, I guess?
1: Um, one of the things that I determined when I decided I was going to direct, I decided that no matter... And, and I, I've i stuck to it because I've had... I haven't had to not stick to it. <laughs> and so I don't know how, how tough I would be. But um, I try never to cast somebody back-to-back. Back. I, I think if... They are, the girl who came down from Pocatello and played, um, she played Maria in Sound of Music, and she's fabulous. And in the middle of Maria, she was doing um, The Addams Family with the lead in Pocatello. And right behind The Addams Family, she did the lead in Music Man. And and she came up here and did a lead, and I thought she would have been perfect for the very following year when we did King and I. And I I really had to hope that she didn't come and audition, (laughs) because I could envision her there. But I really just can't do that. We've gone through that scenario, and we know how that doesn't work for our community. Yeah. And so I really can't do that. If, if the event ever happened when I didn't have anybody really audition who I thought could pull off a role, I guess I would call somebody. But I, I don't think I could call the person who just starred in something the year before. Because it's really important to me that you give another person a chance to pull that arts, artistic ability out of their soul and how do they do that if you never give them a chance? Yeah. And, and so she, she's a pride and proven person and I would call on her if I needed to, but my purpose isn't to just make a show is to make a community theater thrive. And so in order to do both of those things, I have to be really cognizant of the fact that um, could she have been played a better this or that? Probably. Is it better for the theater that she doesn't? Most likely. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so we're right about at the half an hour. Uh, is there anything that we haven't talked about in terms of direction or artistic direction or leading a theater company uh, that you are interested in
1: talking about or you want to talk about? Um, you know, the, the one thing that blows my mind in small rural towns is we have a minor league baseball team to the north of us. and. Um, they charge $20 for a child to go to the ball games, and they're filled all the time. If I raise my prices $2, I get this outrageous um, backlash from the community who says, How am I supposed to bring my family to that? And, and so ticket prices are a pet peeve of mine. I try to keep them low on purpose, but I think, How come you can pay under 12, the theater, their, their tickets are 20, and you take your family to the ball game? And you fill up the the baseball field, but I have a seat. I have 1,200 seats here, and I'm charging 10 bucks a seat, and I have trouble filling the theater. Yeah. And I, it's a pet peeve. I think it's because people have this idea that it doesn't take as much talent to go up there on the stage and act and sing oh, as it does to hit a ball into you know the stands across the way. Yeah. I am. I think somewhere along the way, and then, but yet, we pay people like millions of dollars <laughs> to be, you know, the Taylor Swifts of the world, or you know, the the Chris Pratts, or you know, yeah. the Robert Downey Juniors. It's okay; they're revered, and people expect to pay them. But to bring it down on a lower level, it makes it difficult. The other thing that's one of my pet peeves of community theater is people don't want to work with kids. Myself and one other. Gentlemen in town will do kids shows and and we finally have another another director and she tries to do a junior show every year and it was great for her to do that and um, and then we have another director in a town very close to us that we work with and she tries to do a junior show and it's interesting you know we have volleyball camps and we have cheerleading camps, and we have basketball camps, and those camps fill up, and and um, the, people send their kids to the soccer field in droves, and and um, and drama camps. Um, we're we're going to try again, probably next summer, to try and do some kind of a a theater camp for kids. But there's a lot of people who don't want to work with kids, and yeah. it's tough. It's tough to do, but I think it's you have to you have to give them that opportunity. find that that's what they love to do at an early age just like any other thing where you know you don't find the piano virtuoso if you never put a piano in front of them so I think you have to get kids on a stage and expect the product to be just what it is and not expect more but expect it to be the best experience you can give them in the same in the same breath that's tough because people don't have the same they don't always place the same value at least in this small rural community, and I think I'm, we're pretty typical. Yeah. They don't place the same value on the ability to work on a stage. We have um, we have a couple of dance troops in town, and they fight for premiere time and place. <laughs> and 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 you know, people will pay fifty, sixty, seventy dollars a month for the the privilege to have their kid in this danced group, and then they play, pay hundreds of dollars out in travel, to have their kids compete with the dance group. And it's just an interesting thing to me. And maybe we don't charge enough. <laughs> maybe, the, <laughs> maybe the deal is we should be so exclusive that, yeah. you know, you think, oh, I got to have my kid doing that. Mm-hmm. It's just an interesting way that things are perceived yeah. in, in this community, and I think in many, that you know shouldn't be that hard. Put the kid up there and let him act. Yeah. You know?
0: I'm curious about this baseball-theater dichotomy that you said. Yes. I, I like that. Do you think, I? this is me just sort of kind of postulating in the moment. Okay. Do you think it's because going and seeing a minor league baseball game uh, is less, I'll say, mentally exhausting than going and seeing a theater show? Because if you go to a baseball game, you're probably not going to be like you're not going to have any values challenged or anything right. like that. But if you go and see a theater show, that's like you have to stay engaged for the entire time with the story. You're not allowed to chat with your friends. Right. Uh, and then at the end of it, you're, you sort of have to go through this processing.
1: I think that's some of it. And I think the show makes a difference too. Yeah, I mean, a baseball game is always going to be, at some level, a baseball game. Yeah. Um, a theater production could be many things and and sometimes not great. You know, and... And somehow it's OK to watch the team lose by 20 points, <laughs> but it's not okay to go and watch a substandard show and or not get a feeling like you've gained anything at all yeah. from that feel experience. Robbed. You yeah. feel robbed. I paid all, all that money, however little it was, <laughs> to um, go and not really feel like I had any, any engagement with the process. So I think picking the show is probably besides casting my next the bane of our existence <laughs> because if you pick a show that might make you feel something and your cast feel something it's not necessarily something that will move an audience and so you have to be again very careful what you choose but I think I think the, the comparison I made I, st- I think it runs true in that um, I don't think we go to a local theater and expect to see maybe somebody who might someday be the next Derek Jeter. Yeah. But if you're at a minor league ball game, you might be able to tell your kids one day, you watched that guy play in the minors. Yeah. So I, I think there's that as, as rare as making it in New York and LA can be. That could be somewhat of an issue. Yeah. I don't know. It's really hard to pick people's minds. I think and I will say, why didn't you come see Tarzan? It was so good. Or why didn't you come to, you know, we had this fabulous cast in Sound of Music. And um, and people said, oh, I just didn't know it was happening. And I don't know what you do. Short of, you know, writing on somebody's face that there's a something going on. I've tried everything. And and you have to be willing to spend thousands yeah. in publicity. And most community theaters can't afford it. and And so we try and and keep the timing every year we're trying to do this theater production in the summer mid-august look forward it's coming and that helps yeah and um and so that's a concern for us too as we're renovating the older theater in town that we've had to stop the regular season to renovate and we're a little concerned but there'll be enough curiosity about what we did inside that that'll bring them back i think yeah
0: i think the the two things that keep an audience or keep the butts and seats, yep. uh, as they say, um, is consistency of shows and excellence. Yeah, I think excellence of production, word of mouth is such a powerful tool that yeah. is wild, it's a wild animal that you can't control. Exactly. The only way you can control it is by ensuring that you're consistently putting on excellent productions because then when people go out into the world, they'll remember it. And yes. even if it's like, oh, there's another show. I remember I saw Tarzan,
1: and it was fabulous. And it blew me away. Yeah.
0: And then if they're sitting in a group of five people, and those other four people haven't gone, they're just that much more likely to go to the theater.
1: Word of mouth is our greatest, um, our greatest publicity and our worst enemy at the same <laughs> yeah. time because if you have an opening night and you don't have a lot of people in the seats, that's a problem because the yeah. word of mouth doesn't have time to generate in yeah. the time that your show is running, and so. Um, we tried even this experiment. We gave $2 off opening night um, for a number of years at the smaller theater. And so we could increase our opening night audience to where the word of mouth got out. And, and that worked a little, but I didn't see enough change to justify throwing that, those $2 down for every ticket. And so we quit doing that. Um, but it was an exercise that we, we participated in. Social media has helped some. Um, it's just amazing to me, though, that somebody can be sitting in the same community and be so unaware of yeah. some of the things going on.
0: Well, the challenge is, with, it's the, the question that an audience has to, you have to get through to an audience member is, why should you come, why should you get in your car and drive this theater and sit in that seat and watch this show? Right. When you can just stay at home and watch Netflix? Like, exactly. Like, why do you, and that's... Do you have any advice? That, that's a really hard to answer question. I think everyone's trying to figure that out right now.
1: I think um, I think the motivation. We've already talked about the quality of the show, yeah. so we have to keep the quality high, or the the live theater will die. And even Broadway's experienced some of the pain of mm-hmm. figuring out how to keep people in the seats. So, um, but if you can get them there once, in front of a good show with a good cast then you've kind of got them because there's really nothing like live theater. There, there's nothing to compare it to. You can watch something that was recorded live on TV, (laughs) you know, but it's not the same experience as sitting in the audience and feeling what those actors are trying so hard to portray. And if they're doing their job, um, they don't even know you're out there. They're just becoming someone on stage for you to be a little piece and part of to watch and so I think um, I think it's so difficult if you can't get them inside the theater to sell them on live theater and um, I just think the big thing is we don't give up I mean too many people are saying oh I'm not making money at this so I'm giving up our goal for this big summer production four years ago when we started it um, my vision was to pull more people in from outlying communities to work together so that we appreciated each other's art so that now i'm going to go see my friend that's 20 miles to the north and i'm not going to miss anything to the south of us because i know so and so who was in my cast last year so i think pulling that community of theater actors and people together helps i also think though that um i think you just have to plan not to make a lot of money. I mean, you know, I think if you go in this with the idea that you're going to make bank, then I got news that's not happening. If you go in this with the idea that you're going to provide really good theater in a venue that otherwise wouldn't see it or in a community that wouldn't see good theater, then that should be the goal. Um, This summer... theater, when I went to the board, my board of directors, and I said, this is what I want to do. I want to do it at the big theater where we have plenty of seats, and I want to do it so well that people, it'll take some time to build, but I want to do it well enough that people want to come. They make an effort to come. They don't want to miss it. And um, in order to do that, I just want to break even. (laughs) And they said, done. And, um, And so we spend a ton of money on this particular show because it's our showcase piece. And so, you know, if if we spend two or three or four thousand dollars on costumes, which we would never do, probably on most things, we do it on this show because it's worth it to us to have it be that that good. Yeah. And um, and that's the level we want to attain to in all of our shows. It's interesting though. A good show gets a good audience, which begets a bigger show, which begets a bigger audience, and and you have to rely on that kind of growth yeah. so that's why you have to be so careful because if you have one bomb it can kill uh, the whole season yeah, for there's you. that momentum there's yeah that you year lose it year momentum.
0: yeah yeah uh perfect we are right around the end of the podcast and i think that's a great like little crest to uh, end into um if anyone is in the blackfoot area uh or they're looking for you is there any plugs that you want to give uh, in terms of the Performing Arts Center or the, the community theater or yourself?
1: Um, we have... You can go to blackfootcommunityplayers.com mm-hmm. and find us there, or blackfootpack.com. We're there. And you can always call the high school, too, and they can usually connect you, or our district office can usually connect you with somebody that's involved in theater in the community. <laughs> and, um, you know, if I could leave one thought with everybody, is yeah. don't... it's. Don't give up on providing live theater in small places because everybody deserves to have that experience. Yeah, and everybody. that's
0: one of the reasons that I'm coming to towns like these is I want to give that voice to the people that are in these smaller towns.
1: And it's great that you're doing that, and, and let's hope let's hope everybody's out there listening. Um, go buy a ticket. Yeah. And if you don't see a great show, then why don't you volunteer to direct the next one? Uh, because, that's great. you know... You can criticize or you can construct. And I believe the construction is more important than the critical part of this. Awesome.
0: Right? Uh, I like to end my podcast with this. Can you give one recommendation of anything at all? It could be a book, a movie, uh, music, something to eat, a way of life, a quote, clo- anything?
1: Um, because I'm from Blackfoot, <laughs> um, we are known literally nationwide for the almighty thing that we grow here and that's the potato and um so um i'm just going to end with you know eat spuds and do theater and you'll be good you'll be good to go i
0: love it i absolutely love it uh sharon thank you so much for sitting down with me it's been excellent thank Um, you You can find this podcast on Facebook and SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, And on iTunes, why don't you give me five stars? I typically don't request that at the end of the episode, but this one, I feel like it for some reason. Uh, Listener, thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have an excellent rest of your day. And that is the end of this podcast. boop a doop boop.